you don't have a Bible, we have plenty of extra Bibles here. We, we give them out freely, gladly. We recognize, and we're so grateful for many of our visitors, that like me, I didn't come from a church that taught from the Bible, so that was all new. First time I showed up, everyone had a Bible. I didn't, so don't feel bad, and don't feel like everybody else knows the Bible and you don't. Even if you can't find the book, there's a table of contents, but our purpose here is to help you to meet God and have a relationship with Him through Jesus. And you'll frequently hear me say, a church should be like a hospital. It's not a place where all the good people go to talk about the bad people. It's a place where people who go who realize we are all in need of Jesus and we want to learn about Him, learn how to follow Him. As Don was sharing, learn how to be forgiven by Him. So make that your central goal if you're visiting with us to ask yourself, do you know whether you're going to heaven? Do you know if your sins are forgiven? God wants you to know that. The Bible says these things have been written that you might know that you have eternal life. So whatever you were told in the past, the Bible says that God wants you to know that your sins are forgiven. And if you're not sure, come and talk to us. I'm sure you have questions. <clears throat> but once our sins are forgiven and we get it and we go, Jesus paid it all, we don't just get hell insurance and go, okay, now what? Then what we do is we grow. We grow into the image of Christ. We become forgiven followers where we're learning to be like Jesus, learning to love people, learning to turn away from sin. But one of Jesus' primary, primary priorities was when you become a Christian, it's not like an individual solo event. It's a corporate family event. Whenever you become a Christian, anyone who, who, who receives the Spirit of God and is born again, the Bible says you're placed into the body of Christ. And so you become a part of a local assembly of fellow believers. And what we're learning in 1 Corinthians is that each of us has the Holy Spirit. Each of us has gifts. Each of us has the ability to help other people grow. And so if you were with us last week, we learned from chapter 14 that Christians are to share that, that they, they didn't just have the talking head who's a Cairn graduate, but, but they would get together and they would allow everybody to share. And so uh, I'd like to give you an acronym to remember what we said last week. We said we should have spirit-led, all-inclusive, gospel-centered edification. So we want to we raise up a sage as a wise person. We we want to be sages. We want to get together with other Christians, and we want to be spirit-led. We want to say, Lord, help me through the Spirit to be a blessing to someone else. And we want to have all-inclusiveness. It's not like, okay, only the people who could read Greek are allowed to share. We saw in this chapter, you can all share one by one. And then we said it needs to be gospel-centered, where it's not just like, hey, um, power of positive thinking, turn that frown upside down. Like, we want to share from the, from the Word, but the purpose is to edify, to, to help people to grow. And so, I, I told you um, that this past week, our small group had committed to doing this. We said, you need to prepare. Come with something to share. And so, we sat around the campfire. We had a little fire pit out there, and everybody had something to share, and it was so edifying. And it wasn't all, uh, some people shared their struggles. We prayed for one another. Some people shared a song or what they read. Some people shared a psalm or a scripture. But that, that's, that's really cool. And, and that's really biblical, not just to, to come to church and sit in a chair for an hour and go home, but to get together with Christians. So 
This passage now, the second part of the passage, that, that one verse, let the women keep silent. As much as I wanted to teach on that, it looks like we're going to be out of time. So let's just pray. <laughs> no, we can't, we can't skip that, right? So one of the things is, we, that's why I'm a big fan of what's called Bible exposition. You just read verse by verse through the Bible and, and interpret it in the context. And then nobody can, can accuse you of, oh, you're just picking on your hobby horses. So if the passage is about giving, I'm going to preach on giving, right? If the passage is about rebuking sin, then I'm going to preach on rebuking sin. So let's just see what the Holy Spirit has for us as we look at God's Word. <clears throat> so this morning, I want you to think around the framework of, of sharing together. So Christians were to assemble, but they shared now, bear in mind that, that, that we really can't do that in this large of a setting, okay? I can't just open it up and say, okay, who wants to share? I suppose we could, but it probably wouldn't even be able to hear the person across the room, let alone the time it would take. This is why we're encouraging you to gather with other Christians. Be in a small group. We'll help you, even if it's just a couple people that are just having coffee, but you're sharing. So, but in the early church, the assembly in smaller homes allowed everyone to share, so we're going to start in verse 26. We saw this last week. Paul says, what's the outcome then? When you gather, so you have to be prepared. You have to get ready for church. Each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So getting ready for church, man, I'm going to look for an opportunity and I'm going to, I'm going to say something. Now, maybe for us, it could be getting ready for church, could be thinking about someone that you're going to look for and, and share something encouraging. Like, like this morning as I was riding here, I was thinking about Brother Evan, who's sitting back on the, on the um, he, he's filming us. Turn around and look at him there. He's waving at you, right? I was thinking about him and, and how God has transformed his life and how, how he serves, like you'll see him serving his heart out here. And, 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 and it reminded me what a blessing he is here. And so... So when I saw him this morning, I said, I want to tell you, I thought about you, and you're a blessing, right? So, so in, in Hebrews 10, it says, consider how to stimulate one to the love and good deeds. Like, what can I do to be a blessing, all right? So as we gather, we don't just have to do it here, but we have that mindset that I'm to help other Christians grow. So what we're going to learn from this passage, um, we're going to start in chapter chapter 14, 27 to 33, Paul's going to say, when you're sharing or when you're gathered, there should be a time of sharing that's understandable, orthodox, understandable, orthodox, and orderly. Understandable, orthodox, and orderly. So let's start in verses 27 and 28. One of the reasons why he didn't want people to speak in tongues without an interpreter, we saw this last week because nobody knew what you said, Right? So if I said, por que de tal manera amó Dios al mundo para que todo aquel que en el cree no se pierdan mas tenga vida eterna, only people who speak Spanish would understand that. Everybody else would be like, I don't know what he said. And by the way, I don't speak Spanish. I speak a little Spanish, but I memorized John 3.16 in Spanish, so don't give me too much credit. <laughs> and I didn't even get it right. I forgot to say, que I missed part of it. So the point is, Paul says in verse 27, listen, he goes, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each one in turn, and let one interpret. But if there's no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. So Paul's point is, it has to be understandable. 
And interestingly, we learn from extra-biblical documents that when pagans gathered for their, for their worship of their idols, that they often would have an ecstatic time of just gone crazy, you know, like everyone talking at once. And we've seen kind of things like this where, where people can just get into a, 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 for lack of a better term, sometimes at a, a rock concert, you know, people are just going crazy. They're, they're just out of control. And so I think what Paul's doing is he's contrasting an out of control gathering to everybody screaming and shouting and hollering. And by the way, you may have been in, in assemblies where you've seen that, where everyone's speaking in tongues and jumping over the chairs and rolling on the floor and slaying one another in the spirit. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that. And I'm not beating those people up. I'm just saying, look, this is how the Bible says we should, we should do that. So he says it needs to be understandable. Number two, he says, but it also needs to be orthodox. Now, orthodox can be used of a church, but, but the word ortho in, in Greek just means to be straight. So when you go to orthodontist, he straightens your dontosis, which is Greek for teeth. You go to an orthopedic surgeon, he straightens your, your bones. So orthodox, simply when it's used in Christianity, is that it, that it agrees with the Bible. So you don't have to go to an orthodox church, but you want to go to a church that teaches the Bible, or else, it, or else it's not orthodox. So the danger in sharing is that some people can say something that's not what the Bible teaches, Right? And, and so for that reason, some people are like, hey, I remember once somebody was inviting somebody to pray, and they, they said, but I want you to write down your prayer. Let me read it first to make sure it's okay. And I'm like, really? But on the other hand, what if, what if somebody gets up and says, um, God told me that he's really a she and that all religions are going to heaven. Let's just join hands and sing. We'd be like, well, wait, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. So there is a danger when you allow people to share that, that they might say something that's, that's incorrect, that's not orthodox. So, so here's how they did it in the early church. Because remember, they didn't have a New Testament. They, they only had oral apostolic teachings, and, and not everybody was solid in their understanding of the Bible. So look at, at verse 29. It says, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others pass judgment. Now, past judgment sounds like a bad thing, like they're going, what do they think? No, this word is, is used of like discriminating or testing. But we all want to hear God speak to us, right? Well, in that context, without a New Testament, the way that God spoke primarily was through others with gifts of the Spirit. But there was like, well, wait a minute. How do I know that's from God? And so there was sort of a a check to make sure it was orthodox because the other prophets would examine it. So he says in verse 30, but if a revelation is made to another who is seated, let the first keep silent. He says, you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. That means to be stirred up, right? But he puts this caution, the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. What would that look like today? Well, you can turn on the TV and find a hundred different preachers. You can go to the Christian bookstore and find a thousand different authors. You can turn on the Christian radio and listen to a million different, you know, pod, everything. 
not everything out there is orthodox. Not everything out there is biblical. Not everything out there is truthful. So in the early church, it, there was a subjectivity in 1 John 4 because people would show up and say, hey, I'm here to teach. And they'd be like, okay, well, hang on. So John said, don't believe every teacher, but test them. Test their doctrine. Test their gospel. Find out whether what they're teaching is the truth. In fact, in the book of Revelation chapter 2, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, I'm very proud of you for this. You put to death, or, or you, you put to the test those who called themselves apostles, but you found out they're false, and you tested their doctrine and, and saw that it was wrong, okay? Now, for some of you, are like, well, I, I wouldn't even know. Somebody could say anything. I don't know whether it's biblical, and we get that, and we understand that, but God's goal is not for you to remain at that level. The Bible says that God's goal is for all of us to come to a unity of the faith and of a knowledge of the Son of God to a maturity in which we're not tossed about by every wind of teaching. So there are many Christians here, men and women, who are mature, who know the Word of God well enough to give you guidance. So if you're sort of in that beginning stage, don't hesitate to ask some other Christians, hey, what do you think of this author? Or, or what do you think of this idea? Like, I heard this guy say on the radio that God wants me to be rich and he wants me to be healthy. Is that true? Right? Or I heard that um, this or that. So Paul's saying, look, make sure that your teaching is orthodox. So how do we do that as a church? So for example, we have a lot of small groups, okay? So what if I find out that somebody's small group, they're reading a, a new age book and they're channeling their crystals? Do we go, oh, no, that's, that's fine. Let's just let everybody. So there has to be sort of a, a sense in which the leaders pastors are called to protect the teaching of the gospel. Okay, we're not trying to be intrusive and controlling, but we also have a calling from God. In Acts chapter 20, it says, it says to the elders, shepherd the church of God because it says, from within your midst will be wolves who will seek to, to lead the flock astray. So guard them. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. And so we do have a sense in which we don't just go, hey, who wants to be a small group leader? Have at it. Don't worry about what you do or how you do it or what you teach. We want to provide you with training and resources and tools because, again, it doesn't just have to be one talking head. All of us can grow and mature and teach good, solid teaching from the scriptures that's going to help people grow. You could do this, right? It's, theology is not, is not just for a group of, you know, weird people who sit around and read Greek, right? It's for, it's, we're all theologians, but you can become a better one as you learn to study. And so we offer things like Gateway, where you can actually read through a, a doctrine book and learn how to correctly understand. So if somebody says, hey, I think I lost my salvation, right? Well, do you know what the Bible teaches about that? Does the Bible teach you can lose your salvation? Or somebody says, well, I don't believe that people go to hell. I think that that God wouldn't put anybody in hell. Well, what does the Bible say about that? So it needs to, we, we need to have some boundaries for keeping our teaching correct. So Paul says, look, make sure it's understandable. And then finally, he says, make sure it's orderly. Look at verse 33. He says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And I really like that. The word confusion here, it's an interesting word. It has to do with unsettled disturbances, 
Sometimes it's opposition to authority, disorderly. It's kind of like, you know, what, what it was like in the car on the way here with the kids, right? You're like, I'm going to tear your leg off and beat you. And then you get out and you go, praise the Lord, good morning, right? <laughs> and the kids go, oh, I see how it works. It's only when people are looking, you know. Your home is full of chaos and you answer the phone, this is the day the Lord has made. And they're like, well, wait a minute, you were just screaming and hollering. So God is a God of order and peacefulness, right? And that, I like that. In fact, I read an interesting quote. The character of your deity is reflected in the character of your worship, right? So if we're just screaming and out of control, somebody once said, I went to this one church. He said, man, the, the pots were smoking, but there was no meat in it, right? And some people are like, the worship was great. It was awesome. Man, I, I had goosebumps. And you're like, well, what was it about? I don't know. But the, the guitar was, the solo was out of control. And we ran around the church and we were dancing. I'm like, okay, simmer down. That's not what the Bible says. So, at the same time, and this is important, God is not a, a stuffed shirt. He's not opposed to, to expressions of praise. He's not, expression, uh, he's not saying, be quiet and just listen to the guy up there, right? So, when you get together, I mean, I remember one time when I went to Mexico, in the worship service, they said, does anybody want to sing a song, right? And um, people would just come up and sing a solo. Well, you can't do that here, you know, you have to... You have to audition, you know. We have to go over everything, you know. Some of you, I would like for you to sing on a hill far away. Um, <laughs> but the rest of us, so, so do you see the balance? Orderly, but allowing for joyful spontaneity, right? And so think about that in your small group. Do you have opportunities for people to share? Do you have opportunities for people to celebrate, to read, to sing without, you know, having to have a, uh, a, a voice that should be recorded. All right, so that's the first thing. He says, look, when you gather, he says, make sure that it's understandable, orthodox, and orderly. Now, secondly, he says, but when you're gathering, there's some God-ordained structure, okay? Okay, we're going in the deep end, okay? Some of you are going to go, I've been, that's the only reason I'm here, to hear what he says about this verse. God-ordained structure. Let the women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but let them subject themselves, just as the law also says. And if they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it's improper for a woman to speak in church. Now, that's so self-explanatory that we're just going to move on to the next passage because, you know, <laughs> as God wants things to be clear and orderly, you're like, wait, what? You know, I've had people say to me, I think Paul was a chauvinist. That, that, he might as well just say, stay in the kitchen, right? Well, number one, before we say Paul is a chauvinist, let's start with this. The Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by God, okay? So, so if you're going to call Paul a chauvinist, then you kind of are calling God a chauvinist. And some of you might be, well, then whoever the idea it is, he's a chauvinist, Okay? I want you to think about a couple of things here. There's so much in this passage. But number one, God has an order of structure in humanity, okay? Everybody's not equal. Nobody's superior in and of themselves 
in their own person. Like men are not better than women, right? N nobody's superior. We're all equal in Christ, okay? But in your home, right, children aren't the boss. Well, I should say, your children should not be your bosses. Your children are not, you're not peers with your children. Your children rank under you, and your children are learning to submit to you. Not because you're better, not because you are an authority, but this is God's structure in life. So God tells us to be submissive to the government. God tells children to be submissive to their parents. God tells people of the church to be submissive to their leaders. Why is it shocking that God would speak to the, to the structure of marriage and men and women's relationship? Okay? So, before you go, God's a chauvinist, let's start with a couple things. Number one, <clears throat> when Adam and Eve sinned, God distributed penalties and, 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 and consequences. And you can read them all in Genesis 3. But one of the things that he said to Eve was, because you did this, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Okay? Now, understand that that was a new structure that was, that was not a blessing. That was a consequence. So think of it this way. If you only took the verse part, God says, your desire shall be for your husband. You're like, yes. When Billy comes home, I'm like, I love you, man. I made you biscuits. That's not what it means. When it says your desire shall be for your husband, that phrase has the idea of desire to be over him. The same phrase is used in the next chapter when God says, he personifies sin like a lion, and he says to, to, to Cain, sin is crouching at your door, and it's desirous for you, but you must master it. So when God says to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, there, there, was, a, there was a point there where God is saying, because you were deceived and this happened, there will be a structural rearrangement of your relationship, Okay. Now, does that mean that God suddenly said, men are better, men are smarter, men are superior, women shouldn't be educated? Of course not. It has nothing to do with that. But in marriage, it's not 100% co-leadership. It doesn't even make sense because what would you do if you, and your, if you had a company where there were two co-leaders and they couldn't agree? Co-leadership could end up in no leadership, right? Somebody sometimes is appointed under God's structure to make, make the decision, okay? So in marriage, God says, wives, be submissive to your husbands, right? In other words, wait a minute. I've... Somebody once said it this way. It just means duck so God can hit him if he's wrong. So God's not saying, you know, men are better, men are smarter, but he's structured a couple things in marriage, okay? And, and, and men, any man who uses this inappropriately to dominate your wife, to, you are messed up. You are sinning. The Bible says you are to love your wife as Christ loved the church and sacrifice yourself for her. So I would, I would highly advise you to be very careful in, in how you, you know, like here's what I do. I've been married 40 years and I told Tammy on day one, I'm making all the big decisions and that's just the way it is. No, I told her that. I'm making all the big decisions. And we haven't had a problem for 40 years. <laughs> Weird thing is, we never had a big decision. <laughs> no. So what about, okay, so if, if in marriage God asks wives, commands them to, to submit to your husband's leadership, it doesn't mean because he's better, smarter, or he has to earn his respect. No, you don't earn it. 
right? He might be a jerk and he might have some big flaws, but you don't earn it any more than God says to wives now you, or to husbands. You have to love your wife if she earns it, right? You don't earn this. God puts you there. And Jesus modeled this when Jesus was on earth, right? He was, the Bible says he's equal with God. But when he was on earth, he willingly submitted to the Father's leadership. We call it functional subordination. He didn't go, I'm not doing what you say, Dad. I'm equal to you. You can't tell me what to do. You have to earn it, okay? So in marriage, and I know that if, if I was a woman, that might be difficult, but the Bible says you do this as unto the Lord. You're not doing it because your husband's this great guy who deserves it. You're doing it as an act of obedience to Christ. But what about in the local church? What does Paul mean here when he says, let the women keep silent, they're not permitted to speak? One of the things that, that Christians have learned through the years is one of the best ways to interpret the Bible is with the Bible. If this was the only verse in the Bible, it would be incredibly confusing, right? But there are numerous other verses that we have to, the Bible isn't contradicting itself. So let's start with this premise. Go back to chapter 11. Verse 5, Paul says, Every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. Since she, 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 in other words, she doesn't have her head covered. You're like, well, what are you talking about that for? Look what he said. While she is praying or prophesying. Well, then that has to affect what Paul means by keep silent. He can't mean there that they can't say anything, or he just hugely contradicted himself. So silence here is not an absolute that when you enter the door, zip your lip, okay? But instead, what I think he's talking about here is what he talks about in 1 Timothy 2. And <clears throat> for time's sake, <clears throat> I'll tell you what it says, but I want you to go back and read it. And we have an entire sermon online that Pastor John taught through that passage. But here's what it says. Let the women keep silent in the church. I do not permit women to teach or exercise authority over a man. Okay? In the local church gathering. So the role of teaching and pastoring and eldership is reserved for men. Okay? Now... He then goes on to explain why, and he doesn't say, that's just in this culture. you got to understand, we're just because you people are out of control. He goes all the way back to creation. So he says, the reason for this is twofold. Number one, it was not Adam who was created first, or Eve who was created first, but Adam. So the order of creation. And then number two, he says, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but Eve who was deceived. So here at, at at Riverstone, we hold the position based on that passage that we will not have women elders or women pastors over men. Not because they couldn't. Not because men are smarter. Not because men are better. Not because they're more capable. But simply because we believe that's what the Bible teaches. Okay? Now, maybe you go to a church that has a different view. I remember once preaching at a pastor's conference and, and this woman came up to me afterward and she said, yeah, you know, it's enough to be persecuted by unbelievers, but when you're persecuted by people like you, 
I'm a pastor, and you're telling me I can't. I go, wait, hang on, hang on. I said, I didn't even know you're a pastor. I said, all I'm doing is teaching through 1 Timothy. I just read the Bible. And she goes, well, yeah, I know. Whenever I come to that passage, I'm going to have to deal with it. And I go, okay, well, don't hate the, you know, shoot the messenger. Then if you can, if you believe that that's not what it means, and there are people who do, then okay, but not simply because I don't like it because God's a chauvinist. So I think what Paul's doing here is, number one, he's talking about them not being in a teaching role, okay? But then there probably was a historical context of verse 35. He says, learn from your husbands at home. There's a couple of possibilities for this. We do know this, that in the early Jewish setting, men and women did not sit together, okay? So if men and women were not sitting together, it is possible contextually that the women would be speaking across the room to their husbands. And so that's why Paul says, ask your husband at home, not because men are smarter, because hands down, I can guarantee you there's a lot of women here that I'd probably say, that, say to their husband, you better ask your wife at home, because she knows the Bible way better than you do, and, and you should be getting on the ball here, right? But, but that's possible. Maybe there was something going on, because Paul's Paul's emphasis here is on orderliness. So, so apparently there was a, a, a something going on where he's like, listen, let's not have this chaotic talk and speech and, you know, shouting across the room or whatever. And then he tells us why. He goes, because, again, God is orderly, okay? So we here at, 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 at Riverstone, we will have women pray from the pulpit we will allow women to share, right? We just will, we believe that the Bible teaches that they're not to have the role of, of pastor or elder, okay? And we could talk more about that and, and you know, any of you that would like to, to probe into that. So, second point was gathered sharing has some God-ordained structure. The last thing is this, Christian sharing should be sourced in humility and submission to God's work. Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a group discussion? We all have. Maybe it's in class, you know. But we're always going to be in group discussions. And then we, we, we gather up, some of us gather up the courage to say something. Some of you never say anything. And, and you fool everyone. You know why? Because the Bible says, <coughs> even someone who's a fool appears to be wise if they keep their mouth shut. So, right, if you're just sitting when everyone else is talking, you might be going, I really enjoyed my Cocoa Pebbles this morning. But everybody else is like, wow, he's deep. Look at that guy, man. He's like a rich well of wisdom. So there is something virtuous about restraining our words. The Bible says in multitude of words, sinning is unavoidable. But there is a temptation when we share to want to impress others. In fact, I read a great quote about pride. It says, anytime you're in a group discussion, if you came away more impressed with what you said than what you heard, you probably have pride. Now, we would never do that, right? You've never came away from a discussion more, you know, thinking, wow, what I said. But in case you know somebody that does, there's a great proverb from that. Proverbs 18.3 says this, Fools do not want to understand. They just want to air their opinions. 
Now, as much as I want to go, yeah, I know somebody like that. I'm going, yeah, you're living inside of them, right? Right? We're not even listening to what the other person's saying. We just want them to stop talking so we can air our opinions again. So one of the dangers was if we allow people to share that there has, it has to be sourced in humility and it also has to be submissive to God's word. So, so let's look how he closes this down. Paul says in verse 37, if anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which I write to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone doesn't recognize this, he's not recognized, okay? Now, in the context, this is, this is insane. This is crazy. Paul planted this church, led many of these people to Christ, but these false teachers had come in after Paul left, and they had actually convinced these people, you don't have to listen to Paul. He's not even really an apostle. So whatever he says, you could disregard what he says. And if you've been tracking with us as we've been reading through this whole book, he's telling them, stop fornicating. And they're like, hey, our body, we can do whatever we want. He's telling them, stop going to the idol's temple. And they're going, you can't tell us what to do. I mean, he's, he's in this conflict saying, I'm going to have to come and discipline you with a rod. So, so he, he's sensing right now that as he's telling them, this is the way I want you to do church. Some of them are going, that's not how we're doing it in our home church. We're just all going to speak in tongues. And if sister so-and-so, she can preach if she wants. And Paul goes, all right, well, let's just mark this down. If you won't submit to what I just said, when he says you are not recognized, he's not talking about recognized by others. He's talking about recognized by God. Paul is, is, is wielding his apostolic authority here right? It's not what you think about yourself. It's what God thinks. In fact, there are people who, th who will say, I know the Lord. And the Lord will say, I don't know you. In fact, he says that in, in Matthew 7. He says, if, if, if all you do is practice sin, but you claim to be a Christian, one day he will say to you, depart from me. I don't know you. All you did was live a life of wickedness. So to be known by God is to simply be a true forgiven believer who has a repentant heart, who's, who's struggling with sin, but, but wanting to, to change and wanting to grow. So Paul says, listen, maybe some of you don't like what I'm saying. And you, you, you know how we use the term super spiritual? <laughs> Look at Mr. Holy there. He thinks he's super spiritual. Well, let me remind you this. Being spiritual is a good thing. In fact, I don't even like the, the, the phrase, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. If a person's heavenly minded and they're focused on Christ and know the word of God, I know what they mean by that phrase, but it's not a good phrase because the most earthly good people are the ones who are the most heavenly minded because they have the mind of Christ and hopefully they're trying to live that way. And the Bible calls that spiritual. In 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, remember Paul said, those who are spiritual can examine and, and appraise things because they have the mind of Christ. Then he says to the Corinthians, but I couldn't speak to you as spiritual because you weren't mature. You were acting like unbelievers. So, so I can imagine some of the Corinthians going, I'm very spiritual, and Paul's a loser. And Paul goes, let's think that through. So he closes with this thought, therefore, brothers, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak in tongues, but let everything be done properly and in an orderly manner. 
Now, he started this chapter in verse 1 with this, earnestly desire. So I want to close this by saying this. If you're a Christian, if it has not yet dawned on you, God wants to use you deeply in the lives of others. A church grows when everybody starts to get in the game. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, as all the members grow together, the body grows in love. Even Paul prays in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that we might be full of the knowledge of the love of Christ. But he doesn't say individually. He says that we might together know the love of Christ. So when he says desire earnestly to prophesy, the take home is this. Ask God, Lord, I want to bless others. I want to build up other Christians. I want to help other people grow. Those of you who are watching us online, if the only reason you're watching us online, I say it every week, is because you're comfortable with your waffles and pajamas, stop that and go to church. Be in an assembly. And then those of you who do come, if all you do is sit on Sunday and go home and you never see any other Christians, you never talk to any other Christians, then take it to the next level. Desire earnestly. Ask God, Lord, would you help me to start helping others, to serve them, to serve others? We want every single one of you. Austin has a great passion to see every one of us equipped and unleashed and using your gifts. In fact, we have another focus meeting. Those of you who are signed up, don't forget, you have a focus meeting after this. We want to hear the heartbeat of God. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit from all of you. So as we go home today, just think about this. God wants to minister to you first. Some of you are hurting big time. You're smiling, but in your soul, you are dying, right? There are people here who, who are the hands and feet of Jesus. They might be sitting right in the same row as you, who if you would just open up your life, God will speak through them to you to comfort and encourage and help you. If you're in a healthy place, consider that. Before you walk out this door, say, Lord, show me a divine appointment. And just look, hey, you new here? Or hey, how's it going? How could I pray for you, right? And then if you're not connected at all, like just, just let us know. We'll help you find somebody to have coffee with or join a Bible study or join a prayer thing. Or if you need the elders to pray over you, that's what we're here for. But we can't minister to you if we don't know. Particularly if you're here and you're going, I don't even know if I'm a Christian. We want to help you, but how are we going to help you if you don't tell us? Okay? Some of you, I just know, are st because it's just true. Some of you are struggling with porn. Some of you are struggling with substance abuse. Some of you, your marriage is on the rocks, right? And, and, and it's all this big secret, right? As though you're alone and Satan wants you to stay in shame and darkness. Bring it out into the light. We're the body of Christ. And be in prayer that God will use us as a church to help each other grow together. So we're rebuilding a healthy church. You're a significant part of it. Amen? And so let's commit ourselves to the Lord and ask him to desire to bless and build each other up. Amen? All right, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that when we gather in your name, you're in our midst. Jesus, you're here right now. 
And when, when you are here, your power is here. Your power is here to heal. Your power is here to forgive. Your power is here to comfort and courage. Your power is here to love. Whatever it is, brothers and sisters, whatever you need from Jesus today, tell him right now. If you're struggling with a sin, just surrender that to him and, and ask him to set you free and ask him to give you help. If you have his joy and you're overflowing, ask him to show you who you can bless. Make it a part, a purpose. Ask him to direct you to get connected more deeply. Maybe you have a wayward child or you're struggling with raising your kids. You're not alone. Just let someone know. We thank you, Jesus, that we're able to worship you in communion, worship you in song, worship you in the word, and now worship you in prayer and gratitude. May your spirit move in our midst. Maybe even this morning, may we hear of people getting saved, someone giving their life to Christ, someone coming back to the Lord, someone maybe was going to take their life, but today they found hope. Whatever your spirit wants to do, we want to be spirit-led. And we thank you, Lord, that you want to use us. So send forth your children, each one of them messengers in the hands and feet of Jesus to bless this world. We pray until you come. Amen.